The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right, church, good morning. I hope you're doing well. Um, As you're finding your place, I want to kick us off a little bit different this morning. I want to start with a with a story, and uh, this is a story that I heard from a pastor in Washington D.C. It's not original to me, but it's one of those stories that has just stuck, has just stuck with me. So, um, once upon a time, all good stories start with that, right? Once upon a time, there was a man who lived in a small, small town, really small town. This man, after much hard work, much toil and tinkering, he he managed to create the perfect, most delicious soda that has ever been known. I mean, he poured himself. It was meticulous. Down, it was a it was an art and a science. It was beautiful, just meticulous. Um, and after this man, it, it felt like it can't get better. He began to introduce it to people in the in the town and and Raving reviews. Not one person who tasted this man's drink said, eh, it was always raving reviews. And so he thought, okay, now that it is, this is good. Now that it's good, I am going to take it and I'm going to start to try to produce it a little bit. And maybe, I mean, not on a grand scale, but maybe get it into the grocery shops around this small town. And so that's what he did. He worked and he toiled and he, and he, he created this drink And all of a sudden, it was in all the grocery shops in this small town. And the town loved it. It became a a staple of this small town. Small towns don't have many staples. This was one of them. When you're here, you grab this drink. It was delicious. But, of course, something this good can't stay under wraps forever. And so a a large company kind of heard word of this this drink. And, And so... They wanted to see what it was all about. They sent a team to do a little um, research. So as the team came, um, this drink unanimously won them over, and they said, we've got to work here. We've got to partner here. We need this drink. And so they, they approached the man. They said, listen, listen, we can market this. We can produce this. We can promote this so that your drink can be shared on a national level, that people are going to love this drink. It is so delicious, and we want to get it out. Now, the man had never thought of anything like this, and and honestly, one side of him was a little leery getting into uh, kind of a working relationship with a large company like this. But another side of him thought, this would get my drink to so many hands, and I worked so hard for this that wouldn't it be nice if this many people could enjoy it and could benefit from it? So after much thinking, and he decided to go for it. And so he, he entered into a relationship with this company, and, and so it began. This company started to work really hard. They began um, producing this on a large scale. They, they came up with sleek marketing. They promoted this really, really well. And they pushed it months later, um, they pushed it to uh, large cities, um, large markets, and it was on the shelves. There, this man, small town man, his drink on the shelves of large cities, convenience stores, grocery stores, it was set up. It was going to be great. Nothing could go wrong. So they waited, 
in weeks and months, and finally the first quarter numbers came out, and they, they noticed something very strange about this drink, and that was it was plummeting. Sales were going down. And what The man, when he heard this news, was absolutely dumbfounded. He could not even imagine how this drink was not selling. It was an absolute good. No one has tasted it and not liked it. So how is it that no one is buying this? Like It just blew his mind. He could not understand for the life of him. So he was so curious. He got on a plane and he flew to one of these large cities and he walked into their grocery store and what do you know? He sees it. It looks beautiful. His drink right there, perfect packaging. This thing looked beautiful. Uh, it looked, it was right on the end cap of an aisle, and so everyone saw it. It was perfect. It was visible. It was beautiful, and it was delicious. How could it not be selling? So the man walks over. He grabs a drink, and he goes, and he buys it. He takes it. He walks outside. He twists the cap, and he takes a drink, and instantly he knew what the problem was. This is not my drink. This is not my drink. This is a counterfeit. This is diluted. It's not... My drink was perfect, and this is, is not my drink. It's my drink-ish, but this is not my drink. And the man was furious, and so he called the company and said, listen, what happened? This is not my drink. And the company said, of course it's your drink. I mean, it's, it, it's your drink. All we did was, was take it. We had to you know, modify a few things just to get it out and mass produce this, but we kept it. I mean, it's your drink. It's your drink. The man knew different, though. The man knew different because he had tasted what it once was, and this was not it. This man was absolutely crushed and, and discouraged. Now, I have a point for this. At the beginning of this story, the man had a problem. At the beginning of the story, the man had a problem, and that was no one had heard of his drink. No one. He had it. It was delicious, but no one had heard of it. That was the man's problem. However, at the end of the story, the man had a new problem. And that was everyone had heard about his drink. Everyone had heard about his drink. Only the drink that they heard about was not really his drink, but it was a counterfeit of. And so everyone had heard about his drink, but what they heard was not it. So he started with the problem of no one. He ends with the problem of now everyone knows about his drink drink. Um, the church is a bit like this. The problem that we once, once faced in our culture and the problem that other cultures may be facing today is that no one knows. No one knows the gospel message. No one has heard of the church. Um, we do, we're hoping to do some work in Ethiopia, and that's their problem. They haven't heard. They don't know. No one knows. That's the problem. But I would bet and venture guess that that's not our problem. Our problem in our culture is that everyone has heard. Everyone has heard. Only what they have heard maybe isn't that full and delicious drink. It's been kind of diluted just maybe a little bit. And our attempt to get this out and to mass produce it Maybe some of our ingredients have not been as pure as they once were. And what we're left with is gospel-ish. What we're left with is church-ish. And what the world sees 
and what they equate with the gospel and equate with the church is this ish. That's our problem. That's the church's problem um, today. What we've tasted from the beginning is not what we see represented. Um, Now, this morning, what this is going to be, I want to be very clear. This is going to be an outright call back to the pure ingredients. This is going to be an outright call to just get back to what we, as we're going to read, tasted from the beginning. In a world full of counterfeits, in a world full of opposition, what do we hold to as the church? Because what we're about to read, what we're about to see, is that for centuries, the church, let me put it this way, the enemy has attempted to derail the church for centuries. This is not new. For centuries, he's, but listen, the church will endure. Stone Oak included into this when I say the church, but we, as God's people, will stand, we will endure. And this morning is a call back to, back to the pure ingredients in a world. Let me put it like this. We will outlast the counterfeits that attempt to smear our name. Now, before I get ahead of myself, let's jump in. 1 John 2, 18. Um, John here starts off very familiar. If you've been with us over the last couple weeks, you know he does this a lot. He calls everyone children. Um, Again, this is his typical address. Uh, John, as we said, is a very, very old man at this point, and everyone's a child to him. And so this is a kind of an endearing term. It's an endearing term saying, my children. Um, And he says this, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the ant- that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So, pause button here. What is happening? We have Antichrist. We have multiple Antichrists. We have last days. We have a lot of things going on here. What is happening? I want to start with what this last day stuff is. Um, it feels like in some sense, that John is talking about the end times, but yet out of the same, it feels like he's talking about right now. What is that? The last days, when John uses that term, the last hour, um, it's also used in other places throughout the the Bible as well, but it's, it's referring to the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. This area in between is the last Hour. So the first coming, when Jesus Christ became a man, stepped in, came as a baby, lived a perfect life, died. That is his first coming. He ascended into heaven. Now that, that gap between when he returns is in his second coming, that is called the last hour. And John says, we are in the last hour. And side note, if that's what the last hour is, between first and second coming, and they were here Church, we are here. We are there too. Just a side note. You can chew on that one for later. Um, but that's where we find ourselves as, as well. And he says, there's an Antichrist coming. Multiple Antichrists have already come. So there's, there's ultimately going to be an Antichrist. We'll get to this. But if John says, look around. <laughs> there's Antichrists everywhere. Again, we're going to come back to this. But before we do, look at verse 19. 
They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Don't you love his logic here? Um, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not, that they all are not of us. So remember again the context of this letter. So this church had just gone through a really painful split, really painful split where, where um, um, a group had raised up in the church and they were teaching a false gospel about who Jesus was. They were, they, were, they were preaching a false gospel. They were saying, we can know God, we can know the Father without the Son. We don't need that because we have God, we don't need Jesus. And John is very clear, as we we're about to see, that, that he stands, you cannot know God apart from Jesus. But this group could not fundamentally come to grips with the fact that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. So they denied him. And they began to preach that. And this group left, and they formed their own cult. It was painful, just incredibly painful. And John looks at this, and he says, one, he calls them Antichrist. That's fun. That's PC. Um, calls them Antichrist. We're going to, again, unpack that here in a, a little bit. And two, he assures them that those who are truly with them, with them, will stay with them. And the fact that they left is proof that they were not with them from the beginning. So John is trying to encourage them. Now he's going to shift and he's going to contrast the, the Antichrist with the people of this church in verse 20. But you, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. How's that for, for encouragement? Um, you have been anointed by the Holy One. The Holy One here is a reference to Jesus Christ, also referred to as the Holy One of Israel. And the anointing here is the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you have been anointed by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Um, after he died, if you remember, after Jesus died and he conquered it all, after he ascended, what did he, or before he ascended, what did he do? He promised that he was going to send his Spirit. That is what John is talking about here, the, the, the Holy One anointing us with His Spirit to walk in His power for his, for his work. And so John reminds this church, church, you have the same power in you that raised Christ from the dead. It indwells you. We're going to see that here in a bit. But he, he indwells you. He said you, have all no, or you all have knowledge. You have been anointed. You all have knowledge. What does that mean? Church, that means you, as a Christian, you are never alone. You are never alone. You are literally indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ sent his Holy Spirit and has anointed you. Not only does the Holy Spirit um, provide you and dwell you so that you're empowered to accomplish his work, not only does the Holy Spirit indwell you and convict you of sin that you have in your life, not only does the Holy Spirit come and give you boldness, he does all of these things, praise God, but in this verse, it says the Holy Spirit strengthens your discernment of false doctrine as well. That the Holy Spirit gives you the ability through his power to discern truth from error. I want to skip down. Verse 26, we're going to come back. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. Again, this is the Holy Spirit abiding in you. 
This is a fun statement. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Some of you are like, well, what are you doing right now, teacher? Like, you have no need that you should ever be taught. This is not a call for Christians, for no Christian to ever again listen to teaching. That clearly conflicts with other scriptures here. But um, this is not a call for Christians not to listen to teaching. This is John saying, you have no need for anyone else, meaning those false teachers, to teach you anything else, meaning false teaching about Jesus. Um, In other words, you don't need new information to add or to take away from the gospel message that you receive. And you don't need any teachers to come and try to teach you things that add or take away from the gospel that you receive. Um, I heard it said last week, I was at a conference all last week, and one of the speakers said that um, the best pastors and teachers are simply plagiarists. I thought, explain that one. Um, And he said, we just tell people what God already said. We're plagiarists. And, and those of us who get created, we repeat the words of other brothers and sisters who have plagiarized him in the past. We're, we're plagiarists. And here's what I say is we don't need a new message, church. The gospel is enough. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter, you never graduate from the gospel. You never outgrow it. You never move beyond it. The gospel is both milk for the new believer and meat for the mature. The gospel is perfectly sufficient, church. Perfectly sufficient. And John says, you don't need more than this. You don't need anyone teaching you anything else beyond this or taking away from it. It is perfectly sufficient. And then he continues, he says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything... And is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you. Abide in him. His anointing, his Holy Spirit, teaches you. Church, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit teaching you? Uh, This may sound odd. Uh, Church, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a made-up thing. It is real. The fact that you have been anointed, um, you are not a second-class Christian. Uh, You have all the power, all the spirit that you need, and he teaches you. I want to be very clear. Here in a moment, we are going to get very, very, very practical. This sermon is going to turn a corner. We're going to get really practical here in a moment. Um, We're going to talk about the things that we can do on our end. But before we get there, we must understand, you must understand that you, Christian, are a miracle of God. You are a miracle of God. You have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural work of God. And that the Spirit testifies in you to the truth and discerns what is true and what is is false that you will receive help when you need it most. You have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. You, have, you all have knowledge, and the Holy Spirit confirms it in you. The gospel is enough. The gospel is sufficient. And the Spirit who indwells you confirms it. And that's all the work of God in your life, church. Now, 
Let's move back in our text to, to verse 21. I told you we were going to drop back. It says this, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So to deny Jesus is that Jesus is the Christ is to lie. And what is the Antichrist? It is the person who lies and denies the Father and the Son. The person who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So let's talk about this Antichrist word. Let's break this down. Anti. Christ. Anti, literally meaning against. Think of antiperspirant, right? Against sweat. I know that's a weird example. You're going to remember it, though. Um, Anti-Christ is the same thing. Against Christ. Against Christ. So literally meaning what is the Antichrist? What, who are those that are going to raise up in the last hour? Those are Literally, the ones who are going to raise up who are against Christ, denying Christ. But listen to this in verse 23. No one who denies the Son as the Father, whoever confesses the Son as the Father, also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Let what you heard in the beginning, that pure gospel. Let's think of our soda analogy here. The pure drink that we knew from the beginning. The pureness of that drink. To know the Father is to know the Son. And to know the Son is to know the Father. And to know the Son and the Father is to know the promise. This verse says that you will have eternal life. So um, think about this. Um, For anyone training to spot counterfeit dollar bills, which I'm assuming is not a great number of the people in our room, but um, if you were to train to spot counterfeit dollar bills, how would you do it? Would we hand you a bunch of counterfeit dollar bills for you to study? Absolutely not. You study the original. You study the original, and, and what happens when you study it and you, you, you look at the real thing, you know it forwards and backwards, you know it so well that you're able to spot things that we would not be able to spot because you know the original so well. If we are going to guard ourselves against Antichrist, church, we must know the original. We must know the Christ. In other words, we who know Christ must spot and guard against those who teach against him. Those who deny him, those who lead others astray. So we who know the Christ stand against the Antichrist. We're going to get into that a little deeper here in a moment. Let me ask you, why is John writing this? I want to remind us again why this is in here. Uh, He says, In verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Don't miss that there is a sense of urgency here. Uh, Think about the man in our soda analogy. It's like this man is watching his soda being diluted. And he's urgent about stopping it and and coming on. and, And he's calling us to be on guard. There's an urgency for the whole church to the power of the Holy Spirit, to be on 
on guard. Church, we need to hear this. This is crucial. John is calling the church to be on guard. The church to be on guard. He says, abide in him and be on guard. How, how do we do that? Let me ask you a really, let me ask you a question. Do you feel equipped for that? You're called to be on guard. Do you feel equipped to be on guard? Do you, you don't have to, you know, answer out loud, but do you feel like you have the ability, the tools? Do you feel like you know enough about what you believe to defend it, to guard it? Do you feel equipped? Because the guarding of the faith is not only my job. It's not only my job. It is the job that we are all called to as well. Because remember, John is not writing to a pastor's conference or a room full of pastors. He's writing to the church, and he's calling the church to to guard. This is us. This is you. He's laying out before you how you can guard yourself, how we are called to guard ourselves. Um, John is calling the church to actively be engaged and protecting what is right and what is wrong. It's not a spectator sport, but it is an engage. We are, we are called to be on guard. He says in, in verse 22, I'm writing to you who know the truth. So I'm writing to you, Christian, because you know the truth. I'm writing to you. And then in verse 22, we're going to camp here for a little bit. He provides us with the test. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Church, what is the test? The test is simple. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Was Jesus Christ exactly what he said he was? All of it? Or was he something else? Because this is the test. Let me... um. Let me just give you, give you an example. Anytime you hear anything new, a new idea, a new doctrine about who Jesus Christ is, who he was, let that be a warning signal in your mind. Let that be just this warning signal that pings in your mind because all cults and all counter-gospel movements begin with new and novel ideas about who Jesus is. Every one of them. They were founded upon new and novel ideas. Mormonism, Islam, founded upon who, different ideas of who Jesus is, who he was. And, and we land in different places, and so we, what they begin, is they, they either begin with a subtraction or an addition to, and we run counter to the scripture. This is how all counter gospel movements begin. Um, let me put it like this. Our faith, our message, our gospel is an ancient and unchanging truth. Amen. We stand alongside of thousands of brothers and sisters spanning thousands of years. We stand beside them and we hold to this truth. And here it is, the irreducible truth. Christ is Lord. Jesus is the Christ. That's it. Church, we cannot take this lightly when that is denied. We cannot take it lightly when 
that is denied. Um, this is the word of God himself. This is the word of God itself telling us about who he is, telling us about his son. And church, if anyone adds to this or takes away from it, we cannot take this lightly. And by the way, just as a side note, um, this is one of the main reasons that we teach the way we do here at Stone Oak Bible Church. Um, the way we go through the Bible, the way we do, the reason we give away as many Bibles as we do. Um, because when I stand up here and teach, when anyone stands up here and teach, teaches, I want you to be able to look down and test what you are hearing, that it is from the word of God and not from a hobby horse of any person. This is why we do what we do. It gives us the ability to guard, church. We guard. We stand guard together. And hear me, we don't guard out of fear, by the way. Um, we, we guard because we know the truth. It's like the man um, with his soda. He guards not out of fear, not out of a place of hate, but because he's tasted what the drink should taste like. He knows it, and he, and he fights because he knows the truth. He knows what it should be. And so he fights out of love for the truth, and love for people. We guard the truth because we have the truth. And now, I told you we're going to get really practical Okay, um, so if we're, if we're called to guard, how do we do it? How do we guard? How, how as a church, do we guard? Um, I'm going to give you something this morning that might catch you off guard just a little bit. Uh, give me a moment to explain. All right. Um, how do we guard? Confession. Confession. Now, if you come from a, a Catholic background, you, you kind of have a different definition. It's... It's a right definition, but it's not the same definition that I'm talking about. So for you, you might be thinking of when you come and conjures up ideas of you confessing sin to a priest, confessing wrongdoing. That's not what I'm referring to. And it's also not the way that our text in, in 1 John uses the word when it says confess. Um, in verse 23, it says, whoever confesses the son. Confession here is not referring to confessing wrongdoing or sin. Um, instead, confession is defined as a statement declaring essential shared beliefs. So a statement that declares essential shared beliefs. Those are important words. Essential shared beliefs. A statement from an individual, from a communi community of faith that sets out what we believe. We believe this. We hold to this. A good confession will stand on Scripture. It'll stand on Scripture and clearly and boldly say, we believe this. Our faith, church, is a confessional faith. I don't know if you realize that or not, but we are a confessional faith. Um, even our church has a confession. If you go to our website, you'll see what we believe. That's essentially a confession. If you've become a member with us, you've seen that. You see what that looks like. For centuries, church, think of this. Men and women sitting in rooms like this, singing like us, looking at their Bibles like us, have gathered around what they collectively believe and hold to, have made professions together. So, um, I want you to look at this. This is uh, probably the nerdiest thing that I have ever brought, okay, by far. Um, this entire book is full of confessions and creeds of the church. 
Um, just having this book, just geeking out about this book the way that I do, just announces loudly that I am a nerd, but that's okay. Um, as you can see from the sheer size of this, and that's little bitty writing, we are a confessional faith. We are a confessional faith. Um, I wanted this morning to give you a tool. Uh, it's an incredible tool. It has literally been used by millions of brothers and sisters over the span of 2,000 years. Um, if you're here and you're wondering, what do I believe? What are the essentials? Uh, do I know the essentials enough that I can uh, guard it? I mean, this is a big book. How can I possibly boil this down into a statement that I believe, a confession that I, that we believe, that we can articulate it? And so I want to introduce you to something incredible. And depending on your background, uh, some of you may have heard this. Probably a good portion of you have heard this, have heard this, this what, I, what we're about to, to look at. Um, but for others, it may be, it may be new. It may be uh, something you've never seen before. Maybe if you have seen this before, maybe you've never quite understood it. Like, why? Um, but my hope is for all of us that this, I know this is an incredible tool. It's an incredible tool for us. So several years after the, the, the writers of our Bible finished, they penned their last letter. The church began to, to uh, grow and it began to kind of come into who it was in Christ, right? It began, it began to come together. And um, early on, early in the life of the church, they developed a confession, also called a creed. They developed this. It was very, very early. Um, most believe that this is tied to around 100 A.D., which John wrote roughly 80s-ish, um, and so this is soon that this started in the church. Now, what we're about to read comes from 700 AD. So what was started then is, is kind of refined for hundreds of years till we get to 700 AD and what we're going to read. Um, but they developed this as a way that they could express together what they believed. This is one of the earliest confessions. This creed is one of the most widespread, most recited and held creed. And what we're, the creed we're going to look at is called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Um, I don't know if you realized it or not, but we actually sang some of this creed this morning uh, already. We believe in God the Father. We believe in the, Holy, the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is, this is from this creed. Um, now, just some caveats before we move on. Um, this creed is not scripture. This creed um, comes from scripture. Uh, this doesn't quote verses or restate, you know, verses from the Bible. What it does is it, is it restates the truth of the Bible so that we can understand the Bible and so that we can come side by side together and say, we believe this. We believe our Bible says this. Um, and, and what I want to do is I want us to read it together. Uh, and as we do, I want us to realize that literally millions of brothers and sisters have come before us and have stood together to say what we're about to say. Incredibly, incredibly powerful. Now, on your, on your seat, um, there should be a card 
And, and this, is, this is the Apostles' Creed. And if you don't have it on your seat, someone stole it. So, uh, no, but it should be close to you if you don't, if you don't have it. Um, and here in a moment, we are going to, we're going to just read this together. And, and this may be awkward to stand and read together. It's good for you. Um, and if you're here and, and maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you can't quite say that you believe this, I, I want to invite you as we read these words together um, I want to invite you to just look at what we are saying. Because what we're about to say together is a great snapshot of what we truly hold to. And so I want to invite you to, to take a look at this as we, as we read it together. So, church, would you stand together with me? And I just want us to read this together out loud. Sometimes that's not assumed, so out loud. All right, here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. I get the privilege of preaching to you once a week. And, and church, um, you're responsible for preaching to you the other days. Preach to yourself often. Preach to yourself. Uh, tell yourselves the truth of the gospel. A way to do that is spend time in his word. Also, church, spend time with tools like this creed that proclaim truth into your life. Um, I encourage you this week to do something you may have never have done. And that is the reason I printed this is I want you to have this because what I want to challenge you to do is this week to... Read this creed devotionally. Read this creed devotionally. Um, slip it into your Bible. And, and just at some point during the day, whenever you get a moment, take a chance, take a moment and, and just read it. Read it. Let the truth of this just be uh, proclaimed over you. I encourage you to just think about it, to uh, even memorize it. It's not that long. I could have picked a lot longer, by the way. Need I remind you of the size of this book? <laughs> this is short. You should be able to, to do this. I believe in you. And I want this to strengthen your faith because to know Jesus more is to better be able to spot counterfeits. To know our gospel more is to be able to stand alongside of brothers and sisters and to better guard it. And that's all of us. That's all of us together. Um, I want to finish this way. Uh, for the man who created the, the soda, 
For the man who created the soda and who watched a counterfeit of his drink spread rapidly. Um, what should he do? Uh, for the man who, who looks out at the world who thinks they know about his drink, but who don't, who only know a diluted counterfeit, what should he do? Well, this man should go back to the lab, and he should produce more of his drink. And he should guard it and guard against further counterfeits, and then slowly and consistently begin introducing people back to the real drink. Slowly and consistently begin to show people what this real drink tastes like. Church, as we look at our community, at our city, and we see counterfeits, as the gospel that we love, that we see communities gathering around a different gospel, as we look out and we see a community who thinks they know about us, but who only know this weird, deluded counterfeit. What do we do? What do we do? What we, we hold to what we know from the beginning. We, we delight in the truth that Jesus is the Christ. We guard against counterfeits. And slowly and consistently, we begin to introduce people back to the real thing back to the real undiluted gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for First John. Thank you for this church and the journey we've been on together. God, we know that you have called us to, to stand guard, to guard your truth, because your truth sets us free. It is beautiful. It is pure. It is it is what we need. It is what this world needs. God, help us to better guard it from being deluded, counterfeited. God, and give us, in the midst of being discouraged that, that, that our pure gospel has been somehow misunderstood, God, give us, instead of discouragement, give us patience. Give us wisdom on how to engage. Yeah, we want to see your church meeting all over our city gathered around the gospel, the pure gospel that Jesus is the Christ. We want to see that and give us the wisdom to know how to engage as, as we guard ourselves. We guard our church from false doctrine. Thank you for sending your spirit to equip us, not only for your work, but for your truth. We thank you, God. You have not sent us out alone. You've sent us out empowered. And together we form your people, empowered by your spirit to accomplish your work for your glory. So God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.